Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I do not go away, then the Spirit will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. Last winter, my father, who lived on a flip phone for a long time, started to experience problems. The speaker broke. He could no longer hear us. And that meant when we called him, he was always talking over us. And that got annoying. And so we got him for Christmas a new iPhone. Never had one before. He loved that flip phone. We tried to convince him that the iPhone was an upgrade, but he wasn't going to take it. We told him that it could do all kinds of things that had all kinds of features that his flip phone did not have. And if he would just take a little time and learn a couple of those features, his life would get much better and richer. But he still wasn't going to take it. We said, Dad, it is to your advantage that the flip phone goes away. Because if it does not go away, then you can't have the iPhone. But if it does go away, then we will send you the iPhone. But he still has not learned all of the things. He wants to do two things. He wants to make calls and take calls. And he could do those with his flip phone. So my last conversation with him this week is I was trying to point out another feature through the glass. So we were being safe. He finally interrupted me and said, look, which means stop. I'm 90 and I don't have time for this monkey business. So we walked away wondering, how do you convince someone that a loss of something they've loved so much is actually an upgrade? How do you teach people to use new features when the only features they ever wanted were two? And they had those in the original version. In other words, how do you get someone to appreciate a gift when they don't know how to use it? Last week, Emily said that one of our problems with receiving the Holy Spirit was we've never learned how to use that gift. We don't even know that we have him. And if we did, we don't know how to leverage that. So one question that I want to leave you um, is if the Holy Spirit is such an advantage and you have the Holy Spirit, then what are you taking advantage of? Jesus said that when he left, he would leave us the Holy Spirit. And this is how he put it. You will know him because he remains with you and he will be in you. Later he said, on that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. And when he prayed, he said, Father, 
as you are in me and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. So one powerful advantage of having the Spirit is that now for the first time, Christ can be not only with us, he can actually be in us. That was not possible before the Spirit came. All that was possible is that we might watch Jesus and try to imitate what Jesus was doing. That's all we could ever do. But when the Spirit came, God actually took the living presence that was in Christ and he transmitted that into us. That's why he breathed, because the life is in the breath. We know that now. The moment we get too close to somebody with a virus, we fear that they might transmit what was alive in them so it's alive in us. And that's exactly what happens when he breathes onto us the Holy Spirit. The life that is in him is transmitted into the life that is in us. So we become, in a very real sense, the new host. This is why Jesus said, he who believes me will do the works that I've done. In fact, he said, greater things than I have done, you will do. Yet the truth is, most of us don't really believe that. What have you done lately that was greater than anything Jesus did. And yet he promised that if the life that was in him was transmitted into you, you would be able to do that. So we start to wonder if, even though we have this spirit inside of us, we are still living below our potential. We still have not learned some of the features. The Holy Spirit has the power to live inside of us, not just outside. And at the same time, to live inside the mind of God. That he's inside of us means he knows every nuance and detail and limitation and idiosyncrasy of our personalities. So when he wants to speak to us, he knows exactly how to say it so we will learn it and no one else would. Because he is in us. Because he is in us, I sometimes cannot distinguish my voice from his. I sometimes take credit for things he said. And sometimes I blame him for things I said. But because he is in me and no longer with me, his counsel is personal. It's internal. It sounds like my voice. So I'll listen to it. His criticism of me are the wounds of a friend. They're self-inflicted. It's like something I'm saying to myself. And so I'm... I'm more apt 
to listen to them is like Paul when he was knocked off the horse on the road to Damascus. He said in Acts, I heard a voice speaking to me in Hebrew saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? The, 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 why is the spirit speaking Hebrew? That is not his native language. No, but it is Saul's native language. I heard a spirit speaking to me in my native language, saying things I would never say. And while the other people around me saw the light, he said, they did not hear the voice. No, that was internal. In the same way, God has the power to come inside of me and subtly say things that I will listen to. And if anybody around me said them, I'd put up a defense. And here's the beauty of it. All the while, that spirit is in me and knows every nuance. He is also in God. And he knows the deep things of God like nobody else knows. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, for the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, for who knows the mind of a person except the spirit that is in that person in the same way who knows the mind of God except the spirit that is in God. Now we have received the spirit that is in God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Now wait for it. So we have the mind of Christ. Hold that for a moment. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a genuine Christian, the surest evidence is that you have the mind of Christ. You could not have that if the Spirit did not give you that. But here's the problem. As in Corinth, it is possible to have the mind of Jesus and still be possessed by other minds too. Like the Corinthians, we can have the mind of Jesus, but we also quarrel and we're filled with jealousy. We tolerate immoral behavior. In fact, we have immoral thoughts. We fight with our brothers and sisters and even take them to court. We try to get out of marriages. Sometimes we worship idols. We hoard the wine at communion. We argue about the resurrection. We withhold the tithes as if it belonged to us. They were doing all of that while they had the mind of Christ. This is exactly how it must be for us, isn't it? Someone like me can tell you that you have the mind of Christ, but you also know, but I, but I also have immoral thoughts. And I also have ambitions that are not godly. I have grudges that I can't let go of. I have habits and attitudes that are contrary to the mind of Christ. 
So the role of the Holy Spirit is to teach us how to put the others down and listen to the mind of Christ. I wondered how he would do that specifically. So I started reading again the words of Jesus. And what I noticed is that, well, Jesus told me exactly how he would do this. He said, when the spirit comes, he will remind you of things I've said. When the spirit comes, he will bear witness or show you of things that are in Christ. When the Spirit comes, he will convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And when the Spirit comes, he will lead you into all truth. So I started looking around in my life for the places and the times when the Spirit was in fact teaching me to think like Jesus, but I, I thought it was something else. When the Spirit reminds us of things that we've already memorized, what he does is he brings to mind something Jesus said at the appropriate time so that when we need it, we remember those words and now for the first time, we start to know what we've already learned. This uh, week I was having a conversation with my sister about this. We were talking about the tendency of people who have critical spirits to always feel criticized. We're saying, isn't it strange that the penalty we pay for critiquing other people's performance is we ourselves always feel critiqued. We're paranoid. And in the middle of that conversation, I was able to reach for something and find it. I said, yes, yeah, almost like what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 1 and 2. Don't judge or you will be judged. For whatever measure that you use against someone else will be measured back to you. And I started laughing. She said, why are you laughing? This is not funny. I said, I'm laughing because this is exactly what's happening. A verse that I've memorized before is being recalled at the appropriate time in a conversation so I can start to know what Jesus, I mean, I knew the verse, I just didn't know what it meant. So that conversation went to, uh, am I too critical? Now, here's how I block this. I get bored easily. When I know something, I want to move on. And I don't want to stay in the same old, same old for very long. So whenever somebody calls up a verse that I think I know, my mind just goes, no, I know that verse and I know what it means. But the truth is, I don't know what it means. I just know the verse. And there's a difference. One way the Spirit teaches me 
is he recalls things I've already learned at the appropriate time. And when I see them this time, they have new meaning. When the Spirit shows me, as he said in John 15, he models it. He bears witness to it. The word there is a forensic term. It talks of people testifying in court. They're giving evidence. They're proving that what they're saying is true. And Jesus said, not only will the Spirit bear witness of me, but the disciples will bear witness of me. And so when the Holy Spirit teaches me by showing me, he models the character of Christ in the community that is around me. I see stellar lives. And when I see them, I just think, gosh, that looks good on them. I start to admire it. And I see that it is not only true of Jesus, it is something that I want for myself. So I started thinking about the lives that God has placed in our community in this church. I have seen people sacrifice and never say a word about it. And when I see that, I think, man, that looks good. I've seen people in our church that are brilliant in the middle of a debate. And they're right. They're clearly right. I can see the way the argument is going. And yet, they speak with such humility. I think, man, maybe knowledge doesn't always puff up. Maybe it's possible. Man, I wish I could do that. We talked about Marge Elder just the last couple of days here. And I think about my exposure to her, how as good as she was at literature, her discipline was, was people. Literature was only the vehicle. It was her love for people. And I look at that and I think, however good you get at anything, remember, it's people and, and it's, it's Christ. Again and again. Here's how I block this. Whenever I see somebody in the community that is better at something than I am, I compete with them. And when I compete with them, I feel inferior. And when I feel inferior, I get critical. And then I say things like, well, it wasn't that great. But the moment I do this, I am shutting off the voice of the Spirit who is trying to elevate a godly life so I'll want it, not compete with it. So look around you, church. God has surrounded you with godly people. None of us are good at everything, but most of us are good at something. And when you see it, admire it and compliment it and ask for it in yourself. When the Holy Spirit convicts me, he proves me wrong. And the way that I block this is that I am too easily offended. I fight it. I defend myself. I say that 
you don't understand, and I say that, uh, that, that it wasn't that bad. I say it wasn't bad at all. I'll say virtually anything to get out from the white-hot heat of conviction. But the truth is, if he loves you, he disciplines you. So, if you are never disciplined, you ought to be wary of that. And when he disciplines you, it is always because he has in mind something better. And here's how I know. When the conviction comes from the Holy Spirit and not from somebody else telling me what I should do, because we have them too. The Holy Spirit always tells me exactly what I need to do to make it right. When other people convict me, they generally just leave me feeling cruddy about myself. And then they tell me no way to get back again. Not the Spirit, because the Spirit always has in mind a better version. So he always tells me specifically what I need to do. And when I do it, I always know that I am right with the Holy Spirit. Last uh, fall, I had this conversation with God. I was reading in Jeremiah, the prophets, and I came across Jeremiah 12 where the prophets said, if you run with men and are weary, how will you run with the horses? If you stumble in the open plain, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? In other words, if you can't handle this, how are you going to handle that? And I started to think, uh, what happens when a person is so soft that they can't take a little resistance or a little criticism, how on earth are they going to be ready for something greater? And I picked up a pen and wrote a note and stuck it on the wall that's on the wall still. I thought it's what the Lord said in my language. He said, you're fragile. And when you're fragile, you can't hear criticism. And when you can't hear criticism, you can't learn from your mistakes. And when you can't learn from your mistakes, you cannot grow. Period. If the only thing you can hear from God is how wonderful you are, you cannot grow. Finally, when the Spirit leads me. He goes out in front of Jesus. Jesus said, there's things I'd like to tell you I cannot say because you're not ready to hear them. So when he leads me, he says things that Jesus did not say. These things are true of Jesus and they were in Jesus, but Jesus did not say them. And they're just as essential to my faith and well-being as things that Jesus said. But they show up in new places 
because the Spirit is leading me into places that I'm not comfortable with. Always present, always doing things and active, but things he's never done before, at least with me. The way that I resist this voice, of course, is I grumble, I complain, I want things to be the way they were because I'm good at those things. I like knowing what I'm doing. They do not like to be in uncharted territory. But if I will open myself to the movement of the Spirit, like now at this season in our lives, and I would say, I don't know what we're doing. Nobody knows what they're doing, but we know that we are favored. That's all we need to know. And that we are loved and God is going ahead of us. And I don't know where he's at, but I know when we get there, we'll see him. I know this. It is possible then in a season like this for God to do unprecedented things in our lives because the Holy Spirit leads us. So here's what we've learned. The Spirit gives us the mind of Christ by teaching us in a number of ways. He reminds us, he shows us, he convicts us, he even leads us, gets in front of us and pulls us along. And we are good at blocking all of these ways. But if we can get better at hearing his voice in any one of these ways, then we can learn the mind of Christ. We can learn to think like Jesus. As you wrestle with these thoughts this morning, and I hope you do, there's a couple of questions that I want to leave with you. I hope when this is over, you'll take these questions into your discussion. One of them I already said, if the Spirit is such an advantage then what specifically are you taking advantage of? What are you enjoying right now that was not possible before the Spirit came? Hopefully, you'll be able to identify that. The second question is about these different learning styles. Which of those four ways does the Spirit most often speak to you? Does he remind you of things you already know? Does he show you in the lives of other people? Does he convict you? He pushes up against you and you see where you're flawed. Or does he pull you into uncharted territory so you just learn to trust him? What does he do with you? And what have you learned when he did it? I want to pray for us this morning that God would give us the mind of Christ. Because everybody that you know who doesn't know him secretly wishes they did. They wish they were one degree from somebody who knew him like this. Would you bow your heads with me there in your living rooms? The Spirit of the Lord will rest on you 
the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and you will delight in the fear of the Lord. So set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Be renewed then in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness and let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, make your thoughts known to God and the peace of God will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus because you have the mind of Christ. Oh God, Settle across our congregation this morning. Give us a quiet and a peaceful spirit. Help our thoughts to be weighted and filled with insight and yet levity and clarity and kindness and compassion. Help us to model so others may see the Christ that we love. In Jesus' great name.